everybody. Welcome to Pivot and Thrive. This is your host, Kim Shea, a certified retirement coach, and I'm talking to another coach today that I think you'll find very interesting. Her name is Elizabeth Sherman. She's a certified life and health coach. She's a certified nutritionist. She's a certified personal trainer. And I mean, she's got a lot of certifications. She knows what she's talking about. And one of the things that apparently she asks herself is, why do we have things that we do in direct opposition to what we want? Like we set goals, but then we do things apparently to sabotage ourselves. She's going to talk more about that. And also she does to help adults to regain confidence by creating simple good habits. And she can help us with figuring out how to set good habits and make them stick. And she's also the host of the Done With Dieting podcast. So there's a lot to talk about. I think you'll find her interesting. And she's talking to us from Mexico, which is also very interesting. So welcome, Elizabeth, to the podcast. Thanks for having me, Kim. This is so exciting. I'm very excited, too. So tell me about Mexico, because you're from the United States, right? And you moved I am. To yeah. Mexico. So tell us about that. And tell us who you are, too. Tell us what I didn't cover. Yeah. So, well, okay. Um I am a life and weight loss coach who I help are is mostly women in midlife. Um, and I chose that demographic because when we look at all of the weight loss advice that we've been given over the years, women who are in midlife really struggle a lot because our hormones are changing and everything that we used to do as younger women just doesn't seem to work anymore. And there's a really good reason for that. And the reason is that most research that's done on weight loss is done on college-aged men. And women who are in midlife don't share a lot of the same, you know, hormonal fluctuations that college-age men do. So anyway, I started this when I was going through my own process, and I was like, I need to figure this out. And uh, in doing so, really decided to just help my clients and um, dig in that way. But to go back a little bit, um, how I got here is actually kind of a weird and winding path. I actually grew up in the Chicagoland area. I lived there for 33 years. And uh, <laughs> don't try this at home, kids. But I decided that I was going to move from Chicago to Austin, Texas, to live with, not only live with, but buy a house with my boyfriend, who I had been dating long distance for five months. <laughs> Oh, wow, that sounds thought out, yeah. I know, right? <laughs> like if one of my clients came to me and said that, I would be like, no, what are you talking about? But um, it actually worked out really well because he is now my husband, still is. We've wow, been married okay. for, uh, gosh, 17 years. That's amazing. Uh, we lived in Austin for uh, 17 years. And um, yeah, I. what happened was my mom passed away from breast cancer and that was really the start of my journey in health. And I bring those two stories together because I left Chicago when my mom was dying of cancer. And so all of that together was uh, very intermixed. Um, I went after she passed away, it was just such a profound experience for me that I immediately went on the internet and started Googling, how do I not get breast cancer? And what I found out, I had no information about nutrition, no information about health. Um, I had just started working out a little bit, um, but 
when I started Googling it, I found out that being overweight was a huge risk factor for not only cancer, but for many other diseases as well. And, you know, I would love to tell everyone that knowing that information was just like a divine intervention and I immediately changed all of my habits. But quite honestly, the truth is, is that I went through another 10 years of trying to cheat the system, going on diets, making fake food, what I call fake food, which is like, I used to make uh, brownies that were made with black beans, thinking that it was going to be healthier. And what ended up happening was because of something called the halo effect, that I immediately like ate the whole pan because I was like, oh, well, it's healthier for me. So it must not have any calories. I don't know. So um, anyway, I went through all of those you know, diets and things like that. And until one day, I just really kind of had a come to Jesus meeting with myself and said, Elizabeth, you need to figure this out. You can't keep going on these fad diets. You can't keep beating yourself up. You can't keep over exercising and, you know, going on these, you know, diets during the week and then falling off on the weekends. This just isn't working. We need to figure out how to have a more moderate approach and, you know, manage your weight for life. I didn't want to be 65 years old and still logging my food. Um, and so that was really, that's really the genesis of my story. Were you overweight at the time? Cause you clearly aren't now looking at you. So were you, I was overweight when my mom passed away. Okay. But in the years after that, I was white knuckling my weight, meaning that I never felt completely in control around hyper palatable foods like cookies and chocolate and things like that. Like I had to have them out of the house. I couldn't have them in the house for fear that I would, you know, eat them all. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. Got it. All right. So how did you get to Mexico? Oh, Yeah. <laughs> So <laughs> right, I'm following you down south right now. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Thanks for keeping me on task. Um, so that's actually just a side story. My husband and I spent a month in Belize and that was kind of the beginning of us looking at each other like, could we do this? Could we live in a foreign country? Could we live on a beach somewhere and live there year round? At the time I was a personal trainer. And so that really wasn't going to be feasible for me. I mean, I guess it could have been if I wanted to do my services locally. My husband is a, a chief technology officer for a software company. And at the time, the internet just wasn't really good. And we loved Mexico. We weren't really huge fans of Belize, um, but we loved Mexico. And so every year after that, we just started traveling all around Mexico, trying to figure out where's the place for us. We kind of had some, a checklist in mind of what we wanted. And it was in 2015 that we visited where we live right now. And after we came home, we were like, oh my gosh, that's kind of it. And so we put the plan together. We decided that it was going to take a year and a half to sell our house, to sell all of our stuff, to get everything ready. Um, and so we took that year and a half and figured it out and sold 90% of our stuff and then drove down to where we live right now. So um, yeah, it was the craziest thing because we heard that people did it, 
but yet we didn't know anyone who did it. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, there were two different reactions that we got from our friends and family. One was, oh my God, you're my heroes. And then the other was, what are you doing? You're crazy. Because by all intents and purposes, we had the perfect American life. We had a beautiful house. We had three cars. We had a pool. Um, we don't have any children, um, but which is probably one thing that allowed us to move down here uh, so early. Uh, we were 47 at the time. And um, yeah, it was, people were just kind of confused. Like, why are you doing that? And to answer the question, we felt like, our lifestyle was, we were working to support our lifestyle instead of our lifestyle supporting us. And so it really allowed us to downsize while we're living here um, and just live more simply. Yeah. Wow. So can we talk about that? I know we, I do want to talk about health a lot with you, of yeah. course, because that is a big thing for people when they retire. They start thinking, okay, well now kids are gone and we're going to retire. So now we can pick up and go move somewhere else. And a lot of times it doesn't go well because people get there and they realize they've lost everybody in their support group and their mm -hmm. friends and, and their family. And they think of the kids are going to come visit and the kids are busy doing their own lives. And so they don't come visit that often. And it is just, it's hard. It's hard to start over and make new friends when you go somewhere. So I'm impressed that you took the time like a long time, it sounds like, to go travel around, make sure you found the place and spend some time there. And um, what do you see are the pitfalls and, and what do you think people can do if this is something that they're thinking will work out for them? Because I know a lot of people, they watch House Hunters, House Hunters International, and they think, oh my gosh, we could get this house for like $10 if we would sell our house and go there. So it's so tempting when you know you're going to be downsizing your financial income to go start somewhere else. So what can you share about that for our listeners? Yeah, that's a really good question. So I would be lying if I said that we didn't have a lot of doubts when we moved down here. Um, of course, we had those same doubts of, well, what if we don't like it? What if it's not the right place for us? And our thought process was one, well, we feel like we have to, if it's something that we want, we have to at least try. The second thing was that we had the idea of, well, so we live in a town called Puerto Morelos, which is really kind of small. Um, it's in between Cancun and Playa del Carmen. And our thought was, well, if we don't like this place, at least it gets us to Mexico and we can start, if we don't like it, we can start going to other places and figure out if there's another town that like that resonates with us a little bit more. And so that was the way that we were looking at it, which kind of is like a no fail option. So starting there. Now, the other thing that I want to suggest is that both my husband and I work, okay? And I think that that's actually really important because what I see, I do live in a town where there are a lot of retirees who come here and they move. And what I see happen is it's kind of like when we decide to get married. We plan all of this, we put all of this planning into the wedding and then we don't think about the marriage. Mm -hmm. And so for a lot of people, I think they think 
that when I move to Mexico, I'm going to sit on the beach and it's going to be amazing and it's going to be wonderful and I'm just going to sail off into the sunset. Knowing what I know about health, I know that when we make a change like that, that we have to have intentions on the other side. And I could clearly see for myself that if I wasn't careful, that I would end up at the beach bar on a Tuesday afternoon, like looking like a dried up raisin drinking pina coladas all day. And so I, I, was, stru- I was structured in how I was thinking about what do I expect my days to look like? And so where I'm going with this is when you decide that you want to move someplace, I think that you need to have a purpose after you move. I think that you need to have some sort of something that keeps you occupied and engaged. Because otherwise what happens is those people who don't, they end up fighting with one another on the internet. Like our Facebook group is crazy. People fighting about what the best pizza places or burgers or, you know, stuff that's just so unimportant. And so, um, yeah, that's the first piece is like really have a purpose. Um, and then also really trying to find a friend group that you can be active with. I know that there's a really active community here that goes out and they play horseshoes on the weekends and on Tuesdays they play pickleball and they have all of these activities that um, keep them occupied and basically out of trouble. So that's kind of what I suggest. Okay. That's good. That's good advice. It's um, when you stop working and you haven't done this, when you stop working, it's you need to replace certain factors of work that bring a lot of benefit to you. And having some place to be where you're accountable to other people and having a reason to get out of bed in the morning, not just to lumber over to the bar is really not very good for your health in any aspect, mental, emotional, physical. So uh, that's okay. good. So you guys, you guys have that all dialed up. It sounds like. Mm-hmm. So, so you went there as a personal trainer, you already had that. And did you get all these other certifications while you were in Mexico or did you bring those with you? Good question. So um, actually I had already started transitioning. So to go back a little bit, my transition, when I moved from Chicago to Austin, Texas, I was in the high tech field and I kind of was going through a midlife crisis, an early midlife crisis, because I was in my early thirties about like, what am I doing? What I was doing at the time was I was working for a software uh, manufacturer that helped car dealerships sell cars. So I was like, how am I helping to make the world a better place? As I said earlier, we don't have kids. And so I really kind of wanted to make my mark on the world. And so I went to see a therapist and I probably went to see her more as a coach, a life coach than a therapist, but coaching wasn't around at that time. And this was probably in 2005 or so. And so um, she suggested I think that you would be a really great wellness coach. And I was like, oh, yeah, I would totally make a great wellness coach. But I didn't know how to market myself. And I didn't know how to tell people how I could help them. But I knew that I could help them more than just being a personal trainer. And I say that because with a personal trainer, um, I love personal trainers, but 
I could help people more than just showing up to exercise. I knew that I could help them with their nutrition and how to um, create a better relationship with food and their body and all of that great stuff. And But I just didn't know how to tell them that. And so for a period of time, I was just a personal trainer. Um, but I also had my nutrition certificate at the same time. And eventually I started getting into, I got a certification in health coaching. And it was at that point, then we moved down here and then I got my life coaching certification. And I want to explain why I got my life coaching certification and how it fits in with my business, because I think it's actually really smart and interesting. And um, so when I worked with my clients in the health coaching arena and the personal training arena, I used to tell people that I could help them with physical activity and eating and uh, sleep and then stress management. Okay. Kind of like the four pillars of health. And what was really frustrating to me as a personal trainer was that I would get a client and they would start doing all of the things. They would get really good results as far as getting consistent on their exercise routine and also in their eating routine. But then something in their life would happen that would just pull the rug right from under all of their habits. And that thing was always something stress related. So something like uh, they had to work more because it was the busy season at work or mm. they had to take care of a family member or something happened with one of their kids. And so it, I didn't feel like as a personal trainer and nutritionist that I could coach my clients around how to assert themselves at work or how to manage their relationship with their children or their parents when I'm a personal trainer, right? Okay, yeah. And, and so the life coaching piece really came into it because once I saw that how we manage our stress is a huge impact on how we take care of ourselves, that was the piece that really kind of impacted me. Because mm-hmm. when we can't ask for help at work, it probably translates over into how we can't ask for help at home and how we don't show up for ourselves at home when we need to, for example, eat vegetables or do something that's good for us, ask for space when I need to exercise or whatever it is. So it's really kind of interesting. And it's the whole body, the whole person type of thing. Yeah. That sounds really valuable. And I could see where that would be a real draw for your clients Mm -hmm. because you can cover the holistic person. So that's really neat. So, um, so let's go into what, what you do then you help people. You say you see people who set goals, but then they are basically sabotaging themselves by doing the opposite. So what, what would be some examples of what you're seeing there? Well, I mean, one of the great examples of that is when we go on a diet and the diet says, we can't eat sugar or we can't eat cheese or we can't eat bread or whatever. And we're sitting there at home and either we're hungry or we, we go out to dinner with friends and we're drinking alcohol and we're like, screw that diet. I'm going <laughs> to eat bread or I'm going to do these things. And so what that does then is it creates this cascading effect of, 
oh, well, I'm off the diet now because I ate bread last night. But we don't actually have to do that all or nothing thing. We can actually get right back on track tomorrow. It's all about how we think about our mistakes or our failures or whatever it is that we're doing. Um, and I think that that's really super important for us to realize. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's not over. You're right. And I, I know it's so easy to do that because occasion comes up or whatever. And so you get, you get derailed. All right. That's good. So how do you help people get good habits for that? How do you help people with their diet and everything and set good habits for that? Yeah. So I have this really great tool. It's called the eight basic habits that healthy people do. Um, and I give it away for free. It's on my website. Um, in fact, on my podcast, episode number three is called The Foundation. I'll tell you what the eight habits are right now. It's not a secret. Um, but they are these eight basic habits that when you do them, you will be healthier than most people. Hmm. And when we start New Year's resolutions, so New Year's is coming up, right? What I see people doing is they jump all in. They're like, I'm going to eat healthier. And so they feel like they have to do it all. And what I want to suggest is that you don't have to do it all, that you can lean into it. And so um, let me go through the eight basic habits and then I'll talk about how you can improve each of those habits if you are at halfway or even not doing some of them at all. Okay. So the eight basic habits are drink water. Okay. Number two is eat vegetables. Number three is eat protein with most of your meals. Everyone's protein needs are a little bit different. And so um, figuring out what that is for you. But uh, there are some uh, what I call biomarkers that help us to determine uh, whether you're eating enough protein or not. Number four is move daily. So doesn't have to be strenuous exercise. It can just be walking for 30 minutes to start. Okay. Uh, number five is uh, get enough sleep. And that's different for everyone. Uh, you just have to reflect on how you feel in the morning. If you feel refreshed, then you probably have gotten enough sleep. Um, if you feel like you're tired all the time, or if you go to sleep very quickly, you probably are a little bit sleep deprived. Um, let's see, that was five. Number six is manage your stress. And I know that that's a little elusive, but... There's yeah. some techniques that we can talk about for that. Um, number seven is uh, manage your treats or limit your treats. Okay. And number eight is eat just enough and not too much. Okay. Okay. So really it's good, not rocket really science, right? Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about, um, let's talk about the, the exercise habit. Yeah. Okay. And so the first thing that I suggest people do is take a week and figure out how active you actually are. We often think that we're more active than we are. We think that we're drinking tons of water. We think that we're eating tons of vegetables. So take a week and just monitor it. So just become aware of what you're currently doing. So let's say that I take a week and I figure out, I'm 
walking for 15 minutes twice a week. Great. Let's start there. So there are three different ways that we can increase our movement routine. There's what I call intensity, density, and frequency. Okay. So with frequency, what I would do, and you only employ one of these per week. So with frequency, what I would do is I would say, okay, so I'm moving twice a week right now. I'm going to increase the frequency to three times a week. And I'm going to do that for a week or two. And when I have that dialed in, then I can either increase the frequency again, do a fourth day, do a fifth day, whatever. Or I can increase what I call the density, meaning, or yeah, meaning that I would go from 15 minutes to 20 minutes or 15 minutes to 30 minutes, whatever is like super easy. Like when we look at our goals for the week, we want to be on from a scale from one to 10, one being it's going to be impossible, 10 being cakewalk. We want your confidence that you can get it done seven, eight or nine. Okay. If it's anything lower than that, We want to decrease it, okay? So then comes up the idea of intensity. So I only suggest that we move into intensity, and intensity isn't going to apply to all of the habits, okay? So just be aware of that. So I only suggest that we move into intensity when I'm maxed out on time. So when you are exercising, let's say, five days a week for 30 minutes a day, and you're like, I just don't have any more time in the day, Okay, now we can get into intensity. And what that means is maybe you do a walk jog. So you're covering more land in the same amount of time. You're getting your heart rate up higher within that same amount of time. Okay, that's that's really brilliant because it's not so overwhelming. I, I, I talked to a woman and she was training to do a triathlon and she was just not a good swimmer. It was really rough for her. And she just knew she could not do, I don't know what it is, a mile, whatever in the, in the pool, she knew she couldn't do it. So her coach said one day, just do what you can do. And then just see if you can just do one more lap. That's all. Yeah. Well, I can do that. So, and then it just became that, that became her thing. I can always just do one more bit. And that's kind of what you sounds like you're doing here. You can just do a little bit more. So it's bite size, but wow, I think you'd feel really good if you were doing these and then feel like, wow, I've done like where I've gone from here to here. And, and so this sounds really manageable. Yeah. And so what I find with a lot of people, like my podcast is called done with dieting because I think that the problem with diets, diets do not work long-term for weight loss because so many of us don't have the foundation in place. We don't have these eight habits in place. And so what we're doing is we're employing these advanced techniques like intermittent fasting or um, uh, cycling of carbs or all of these advanced techniques, and it's on a house of cards. And so when it doesn't work anymore, we don't have the foundation to go back on. And for many of my clients, we don't even need to do any of those advanced techniques. Sometimes we do, but we do them with the purpose of, okay, this is going to be a short-term thing, and then we're going to go back to the foundational habits again. Yeah, that makes good sense. Okay, I like that. 
And so with the exercise, same thing. It's not even, well, like with a diet, it's definitely, that's a, that's a different focus where you're just trying to lose weight. But with exercise, you're trying to improve your health, I'm guessing is the point of that, that that's somebody's goal is to just be healthier. I mean, diet well, that's is actually cute, right. Yeah, that's actually a really good point. And it's something that I work with my clients on a lot, which is so many of us women over the age of 45 and 50, we have a terrible relationship with exercise because when we grew up and we were reading like Cosmo magazine or 17 or whatever magazines we were reading, we used exercise as a, the calories out portion of the calories in versus calories out equation. And that's fine when you're younger. When we're younger, we can overeat cookies and then go exercise a little bit harder and work off mm -hmm. that those calories. But what it does for so many of us is it treats exercise like a punishment. Uh, and what we really want to do is we don't we want to decouple exercise from the calories out part of the equation. And I remember when I started working on this myself, my head basically exploded. I was like, how is that even possible? How can I possibly decouple exercise with calories out? And so how we do that is we have to look at exercise as a form of self-care and not as a form of this is how I manage my weight. When we look at exercise as a form of self-care and stress management, then when we do it, we're doing it because of different reasons. And so we start to then enjoy how exercise makes me feel afterwards. And when we can do that, then it doesn't become such a chore anymore. And it doesn't become something that I have to do. Exercise isn't something that's on your to-do list and something that you have to check off. Yeah, I like that because I think if you are doing something that you enjoy, it's not so much of a chore. It's meditative time or you time or whatever. And so it, it works out pretty well for people. I know I'm, I'm busy right now raising a baby. Um, and so it, it's cut into what I used to do. But what I used to do was take my paddleboard and go to the lagoon just right down the street and go paddle. And I loved it because I was out on the lagoon in nature, felt very safe out there and was getting a really good workout, developing really nice biceps and everything. It was pretty cool, but I was just having a good time. And it was time for me to be alone and talk to the birds and watch fish and everything. And it was just a really good time. So if you can find something you do that you really love, it's fun. But um, I mean, what what you must have clients like this that just can't find that happy place with their exercise where their option is just a gym or, or, you know, a treadmill on their house or whatever. And so how do you help them bridge that gap where it's like, it's not fun, but how do you help them understand it really is about you and your health. And so they stick to it. Yeah. So, well, first of all, there are so many different modalities today. Um, there's group exercise, there's sport. Like I was talking about pickleball eat earlier. Mm -hmm. Like there are so many different ways that you can be active and not have it feel like exercise. You just have to figure out what it is for you. So there's Zumba, there's dancing classes, okay. there's, you know, online, there's just tons of different resources. So 
be aware that if you haven't found it yet, maybe, and there are actually um, websites out there. I think you can Google like, how do I find out what work workout is best for me? And they'll ask you like, do you like being outdoors or do you like being indoors? Do you like being group, you know, going out with other people or is it an individual thing? And so based on your answers, they'll give you like a couple different options of what you like to do. And so, um, you know, that's something that the listeners can do. Um, But I think that for each of us, it's our responsibility to figure out what is it that makes exercise good for me? And so let me back up for just a second. And, you know, this kind of goes back to your very first question that you asked me about self-sabotage. We have two different parts of our brain. We have the higher brain, the rational brain that decides that we're going to go out and we're going to lose weight or we're going to be healthier or whatever our goal is. And that rational brain then also creates a plan in order to get there. We also have what's called our lower brain, our emotional brain, and our emotional brain does not care about the plan. Our emotional brain only cares about the here and now. The emotional brain works on something that's called the motivational triad, and the motivational triad is that all of us, all humans, are constantly seeking pleasure, avoiding pain, and doing it as efficiently as possible. And so... When we have it on our calendar that at three o'clock, we're going to go walk for 15 minutes. And at three o'clock, I'm either at my desk and my alarm goes off or I'm sitting on the couch watching friends. It doesn't really matter. Of course, our brain is going to be like, I don't want to do that because walking is uncomfortable Mm -hmm. and it's hot out or it's going to take effort or I just don't feel like doing it. And so What we have to do for everything that we do do, there is a positive and there's a negative. So with exercise, the negative is on the front side and the positive is on the back side. And so what we have to do is we have to get ourselves for the very first time over that hump of doing the thing that's uncomfortable to do the thing that we want to do. And then on the other side of exercise, when we're done, what I teach my clients to do is do something called a body scan, which is really just checking in with your body and asking yourself, how do I feel? And so when we can do that on the other side of exercise, when we're done, what we can do is the next time that alarm goes off, Because this is something that I do every single morning. Every single morning, I sit on the couch and I have two cups of coffee and I start my morning routine. And then at some point, I'm like, okay, Elizabeth, you need to go upstairs and exercise. And every day, I don't want to do it. Mm. But I know that I'm going to feel so much better on the other side. And so what I do is I talk to myself more than I listen to myself. I talk myself through the process of, okay, you're going to do this because you're going to feel better. And then you don't have to have that inner critic coming back to you later on in the day saying, you suck for not exercising today, right? Yeah. And so it, it um, it becomes a process of, yeah, talking to yourself more than you listen to yourself. Okay. That's really smart. I like that. 
Um, how about hormones? Um, yeah. I know like for me, I'm going through menopause right now and doggone it. If I eat one thing out of line, it really is a problem. So it's really harder to control. So what do you find with hormones with women? Yeah. Do men Good have question. the same issue at all or not as they get older? Son, to a lesser degree. Okay. To a lesser degree. Um, so with women, so here's what happens. When we move out of childbearing years, our bodies become more uh, sensitive to insulin and more reactive to stress. And this is one reason going back to the exercise piece of why we can't control our eating with over-exercising anymore. Because what happens is we usually eat something that's carby, right? So like cake or brownies or, you know, bread or fried foods, pizza, whatever. And what that does is it spikes our insulin level. And when that happens, when our insulin spikes, if we then go out and over-exercise, then our stress response spikes in response to that. And so what we get is this weird cocktail of unregulated hormones in our body. And what will typically happen for many is, I, I mentioned it earlier, I have five biomarkers that tell me whether your home hormones are balanced or not. And those five biomarkers are uh, cravings. So our cravings should be low. Appetite, our appetite should be low as well. So if you feel like you have a voracious appetite, um, it's probably something with your exercise habit or with your sleep. Um, the third one is energy levels. So you should have consistent energy all day long. Uh, number four is... Um, good sleep. And then number five is a consistent mood. Okay? okay. So we want those five things to be in line. And going back to those four lifestyle habits, so eating, physical activity, sleep, and mood, each one of those actually impacts the other. So an example of that would be, if I don't sleep well, the next day, I'm probably going to have cravings. And the reason for that is because when we don't sleep well, our body's cells don't repair correctly and our body doesn't generate energy properly. And so at three o'clock in the afternoon, we're going to get this energy slump and our brain knows that it's not getting the energy it needs. It's not getting the, the blood sugar. And so it knows that the easiest way to do that is by eating something sugary or carby, whatever your thing of choice is. And so when that happens, it's really helpful to just stop and think to yourself, oh, am I hungry? No, I'm not hungry. Then why am I in the pantry wanting to eat? I don't know. I'm sluggish. Okay, did I sleep well last night? No, I didn't sleep well. Okay, so my body's just looking for a pick-me-up. Maybe I just need some tea, maybe I need some coffee, or maybe I just need an apple or something like that. And so each of these four lifestyle factors, you know, sleep, eating, physical activity, and stress, they all influence one another. And when we can get one of them in line, 
usually the other three start to take place. And the one that I always suggest works really well is um, getting your sleep in line first. So if you can get your sleep under control, everything else becomes easier. You don't make poor food choices anymore. You have the energy to be physically active and you manage your stress better because you've gotten enough sleep. And so it all kind of ties together. Yeah, that, that makes sense. But um, I know for some people, sleep is an issue. Either it's a question of time. And especially yeah. I think during the COVID, that was a mm-hmm. problem for a lot of women because they still needed to get their work done. And so they had kids yeah. home from school. And so they're working in the middle of the night in order to get their work done. And then mm-hmm. just for some people, sleep is a, a big deal. I read about people all the time. They wake up at three o'clock in the morning and they're awake and they can't yeah. sleep. And so they have I guess, insomnia issues. So how do you help people with that? Because it sounds like sleep is so key to mm-hmm. being able to manage our lives well. So how do you how do you help people there? Yeah, good question. So there are a couple things. Um, one is the sleep eating connection is actually really important. So one is starting to observe when you are having sleep problems and be aware that we can start a habit for one reason and continue it for another. And what I mean by that is like you may have started the waking up in the middle of the night because of stress, but now that you've woken up at three o'clock in the morning, the same time for a month, your body might just be on that schedule. So just be aware that we can start a habit for one reason and continue it for another. But going back to insomnia, waking up in the middle of the night, uh, what I find is that that can happen for a couple different reasons. One is anxiety, okay? And I'll talk about that. The other reason that we can wake up in the middle of the night is because of our eating choices. And so for some of my clients, one is getting rid of alcohol. Um, Alcohol can impact our sleep drastically, um, but also eating spicy foods or eating too close to sleep time or having too many carbohydrates or starches in the, uh, before you go to bed can also impact your waking up because what happens is, it's kind of weird, um, our blood sugar drops and even though we're not awake and moving around where we would normally be like, oh, I feel sluggish, the body just naturally wakes up and says, hey, we need to eat because our okay. blood sugar is low. Okay. So those are a couple reasons why you could wake up in the middle of the night that have to do with food. Now, if it's anxiety related, um, what I teach my clients is to create a bedtime routine. And so what we want to do is the bedtime routine doesn't have to be complex. It just has to be a series of behaviors that you do on a regular basis that prepare your brain that it's time to go to sleep. And so things like doing your basic self-care, like brushing your teeth and washing your face and um, maybe putting your clothes out for the next day, getting your lunch together, whatever. Um, But in addition to that, What I suggest is doing either one, a to-do list download, or two, a thought download, and looking at your calendar for the next day so that 
you are preparing yourself for what's going to happen tomorrow. You're not waking up in the middle of the night thinking, do I have a meeting? Did I do everything that I need to do for that? And so let me talk about the to-do list download and the thought download. So the to-do list download is looking at your calendar for the next day and really kind of just going over what is it that I need to be prepared for the following day. And then the thought download is just like dumping your brain out onto a piece of paper. It's not a dear diary of this is what I did today, but it's just like, you know, all of those things that you don't want to say out loud, putting that down on a piece of paper, like, God, that guy, John is such a jerk. And, you know, I was so embarrassed in that meeting and I can't believe that this happened and this is frustrating. And just getting all of those things out of your head so that you're creating a restful sleep environment for your brain. Okay. That sounds very valuable. And then the piece of paper, you just chuck it after that, tear it up. You can. Yep. Mm -hmm. Nobody else finds it. Exactly. It's one of your kids. (laughs) For your partner, yeah. <laughs> Bad, yeah. So how about stress? So it sounds like sleep is a big component, um, but mm-hmm. also how do you help manage stress? How do you encourage people with that? Yeah, good question. Um, so part of, okay, so typically when we talk about stress management, we talk about going for manicures or massages and self-care tends to be a very feminine thing, but it's not, Stress management is really all about, well, okay, we know that stress is in our minds, right? And I say that, and it sounds very victim-blamey, and I don't mean it like that. Okay. We know that two people can experience the same event and have very different stress responses to it. And so what that means is that how we perceive our problems is what causes our stress. And so I don't know that I have any easy takeaways for this, but what I do is I actually help my clients reframe their problems so that they look at their problems differently and that the problem, the stress management becomes proactive instead of being reactive, which is what we're talking about when we're talking about the manicures and massages and all of those pampering type things. So if we can look at our problems and say, okay, I know that I'm stressed about this. I know that I'm frustrated with this person, but how can I look at this differently? Give that person the benefit of the doubt so that it's not causing me so much angst. I like that. It also helps you take control. So it's, you're not a victim of the stress as much as you're in charge of it. It's, I like that. That sounds better and healthier too. Yeah. So Elizabeth, how can we get in touch with you? How can people find you? And they can find your podcast, Done With Dieting Podcast, but how else can they contact you if they're interested in getting some coaching? Because you seem to know a lot about a lot. It seems like you can help people pretty well. Yeah. So um, I have a group coaching program. I also work with clients one-on-one. Um, both of those are six month programs. Um, and why six months is because I just find that it takes about that amount of time to change our mindsets around eating and exercising and our body and all of that great stuff. So, um, 
those enroll every once in a while. You can find me on social, on Instagram at esherman68, and on Facebook, you can find me at Total Health by Eliz. And then, of course, my website is elizabethsherman.com. Okay. All right. Thank you so much. So many ways for people to find you is pretty awesome, especially because you're in Mexico. And so is that an issue with people with your, your different time zone? I'm not sure which time zone you're in. Yeah, it's it's not a problem. In yeah. fact, um, when COVID, when shelter in place started, my business actually really picked up because the location thing wasn't a problem anymore. Good. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And I'm sure people need you. I know there's a lot of us still struggling with, um, you know, the COVID-19 <laughs> that people gained mm-hmm. because yeah. it seemed like it was going to just be two or three weeks. We'll be indoors drinking wine, eating sourdough bread, and then it has never ended. So um, a lot of people are still really stuck with weight that's on there. So it sounds like you'd be able to help a lot of people. So thank you for your time today, Elizabeth. I really appreciate it. You really are wealth of knowledge. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. This has been a delight. Thanks. I enjoyed it too. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Pivot and Thrive. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. If you know anybody who you think would be a great subject for this podcast, please have them contact me. They can go to my website, retirementpurposecoach.com. And at the bottom of that front page, there is a contact section and they can just reach me right there. I'd love to hear from them. I am a certified retirement coach, so if you need any help from me with your retirement so that you have your own success story, you can contact me there as well. I'd like to thank Bokuwa and Wizzy2K for the use of their song, Will You Stay With Me? I have the link to that song in the show notes. Have an excellent rest of your day, whatever it is that you're doing. I hope it's purposeful. You'll enjoy your life so much better if that's your focus. Bye for now.